compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxis. Well, Merry Christmas. If you're a visitor, it is great to have you. We want to thank you for coming here and joining us at Crosswinds at the Sammy Center tonight as we celebrate the, the birth of Jesus Christ. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here at Crosswinds. And I really like Christmas. I assume you like it too. And I really like the ambiance of Christmas. Isn't there just something special about having that tree with the lights on it and the ornaments around it? It just sort of makes your home feel special. And then there's, of course, there's always the traditions that we have. I like when people give cookies and you, you make those Christmas cookies and you eat too many and you have some fun and there's candy and all these good traditions of giving exchanging of food and presents. One of the things I've really grown to love about Christmas is actually the fact that the kids have off school. It's a time when you can sort of get together with family. Not only that, but if you have kids that are away at college, it's a time where they come home. And if you're one of those positions where your kids are actually really far away and maybe your kids have actually married and they have children, Christmas is a time where the whole family gets together and the grandchildren oftentimes are able to come home. In fact, statistics say that this Christmas season, there'll be a hundred million people that'll travel on the roads so they can be with family. Christmas is, is a great time. And kids, what is the best time? What are you looking forward to doing tomorrow morning? What? Presents! I wouldn't forget presents. It's a great time when you get to open presents and see what has been under the tree. It's a good thing. But if you were to take and strip away all the tinsel, the toys, and the trees from Christmas, what do you have left? I mean, there's one really important question to answer. And that is, why do we celebrate Christmas? Why do we celebrate it? And why is it so important that we stop and take time in our schedules to make sure we make a big deal of this holiday? Tonight, I'm going to answer that question. We're going to find out why it is so important for us to celebrate Christmas. And my hope and my goal is that when you leave tonight, you will be celebrating Christmas with more joy and more enthusiasm than you ever have in the past. Because you'll understand why this is such a big deal. Now, how are we going to do that? We're going to look at Luke chapter 2. Sort of portions of the Christmas story that you heard read earlier in the service. And after we look at Luke chapter 2, we're going to take a few minutes to look at part of the Old Testament. And then we're going to take a few minutes to come back and look at a piece of the New Testament. And we put them together. We'll have a very clear picture of why we celebrate why we celebrate that Jesus Christ has come. So you ready to look at the text? All right, let's jump in. Let's begin at Luke chapter 2, and let's look at just the first five verses. In those days, 
a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up to Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now as Luke prepares to tell us about the birth that changed the world, he starts by telling us about the man who was ruler of the world, Caesar Augustus. Now Caesar, he was the ruler of the world, but technically he wasn't the world ruler because he didn't rule the entire planet. But as far as people were concerned in the Mediterranean world and the known world at that time, he did control everything. His name wasn't always um, Caesar, uh, Caesar Augustus. In fact, his birth name was Octavian. But once when he was able to take over the rulership of Rome and he was able to establish the, the peace of Rome, the, the Pax Romana, the Roman Senate actually renamed him, making him Caesar Augustus. Literally, Augustus means the majestic one. Now, while the majestic one, Caesar Augustus, was busy expanding his kingdom and, and ruling his subjects, the true ruler of the world, the true majestic one, was being born in a tiny town on the eastern border of his kingdom. His name is Jesus. And right here at the front, Luke teaches us something we need to know. The Christmas story teaches us something very important. And that is about God's awesome, sovereign power over all things in life. It's interesting if you, you know the background. Hundreds of years before, Micah had prophesied that Jesus would be born in the city of Bethlehem. Very clear, very specific prophecy. But the problem was that Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus, lived in Nazareth. Now, how is Mary going to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem to have Jesus? What would bring this about? God, the true ruler of the world, actually touches Augustus' heart and gives him the desire to raise taxes. And to do that, he needs to take a census of the world. And he does it at just the right time. So Mary and Joseph move from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So she's there to give birth. God and his sovereign power are in control of everything. In control of Micah who prophesied about where Jesus would be born hundreds of years before, and even in control of Caesar Augustus's very thoughts and desires. Did you ever realize that? The awesome, sovereign power of God over everything? Look what it says in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, 
from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. And notice this, whose comings forth is from of old, from ancient days. In Hebrew, that literally says, whose comings forth is from eternity. Who is the only one that has existed for eternity? God. That God would be born in Bethlehem, and he would be the ruler over Israel. Very specifically said. And how does he get there? How does Mary get there? By touching Augustus's heart. In fact, I love what it says in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. This is amazing and good news for us. It's one of the first lessons in the Christmas story. The awesome sovereign power of God over everything. Because I know that for many of us who came here tonight, you feel like your life is spinning out of control. Some of you are wondering uh, how you're going to make it financially. Others of you are wondering how you're going to make it relationally. Because your relationship with someone special is teetering on the very edge. Others of you, well, you're wondering if you're even going to have a job by the time that January gets rolls around. You're saying, God, my life is completely out of control. Well, it may be out of your control. But one of the messages in the Christmas story is it's not out of God's control. He has sovereign power over everything. Give your life into his hands. Cast your worries on him because he cares for you. If he cares for the lilies of the field which are here today and gone tomorrow, he cares so much more for you. Rest your worries in his hand because God is in control of all things even when we don't see it. Let's continue in the Christmas story. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Maybe you don't know much about the, the, the trip from Nazareth to, to Bethlehem. It was 90 to 120 miles depending on which route you took. Incidentally, this was not a trip that uh, Mary and Joseph were completely unfamiliar with because the Jews typically traveled to Jerusalem area about once a year for Passover. So they had made this trip before, but it was a very hard trek. It was a very difficult trek. Incidentally, when I read the text, did you notice something that was missing? Like the donkey. So many times we've often been told that Joseph walked and Mary rode the, this beast of burden. But is that in the Christmas story? It's not. It's not in the biblical text. Now, it's a, an old and long tradition that some people even began speculating about it in the second century, but it's not there. And quite honestly, given uh, Mary and Joseph's financial situation, it's most likely that they actually walked the 90 to 120 miles from Nazareth 
to Bethlehem. And when they walked, they carried their own provisions. That's a hard walk for a full-grown man. It's a really hard walk for a woman who's nine months pregnant. Is there any wonder that she gave birth when she finally arrived in Bethlehem? There's some other things that are, um, we think that are often in the story, but if you notice when we read it, actually aren't there. Like it doesn't say anything about there being animals. It doesn't say anything about there being a stable. It doesn't say anything about there, an, there being an innkeeper who said his famous line, there is no room. It's just not in the text. Now, it might have happened that way, but the Bible doesn't tell us. But it does tell us this, three important things. That Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloths. It tells us also that um, he was placed in a manger. And lastly, that there was no room in the inn. Let me take a, a few minutes to explain some of those important thing, things. Swaddling cloths. What are they? Actually, this was nothing unusual because in that day when a child was born, they didn't have little onesies they, they put their kids in. What they did is they took strips of cloth and they wrapped it around their children. It's almost like they were in a, a cocoon. Now, we don't know where Mary and Joseph brought these strips of cloth from. Maybe they brought them with them from Nazareth. Maybe they cut up their own clothes so they would be warm and baby Je so they would be cold and baby Jesus would be warm we don't know but while swaddling cloths were something that was common in that day laying a baby in a manger a feeding trough was unheard of the feeding troughs in the ancient world were very similar to feeding troughs in the modern world where we are today. Where are they usually found? Out in a field, usually all by themselves. Sometimes they're found on the backside of houses. That may have been the way it was for Mary and Joseph. They may have given, Mary may have given birth to Jesus under a starlit night. But most likely what happened is something slightly different. Historically, we know that in surrounding Bethlehem, there were some caves. And that people in that area would often try and take and herd their animals for the night into some of these caves. In fact, if you go to those caves, what you find is that um, the people of Bethlehem had actually chiseled into the rock walls of the cave to make feeding troughs for their animals. So the hay wouldn't have to be on the manure-laden floors, but it would be slightly above. And most likely, although we don't know for certain, this is where Jesus was born, in one of these manure-laden caves. And the trough that he was put in may have been a, a stone trough that was carved into a cave wall. The other thing we know is that there is no room in the inn. What does this mean? Inns in the modern world are very different from inns in the ancient world. Now, in the modern world, you rent a room in the inn, and you have a nice 
private quarters. But in the ancient world, it didn't work that way. What they were was they were huge open rooms where everybody sort of stuffed in and somebody's feet were kicking your head all night long as you threw down your type of sleeping bag. Bethlehem was a very small town and it would have had very few public inns. And since the Roman census was taking place, most likely if there was an inn, it was filled already with Roman soldiers. Now there's something that's interesting. If you happen to have your Bibles open, you'll notice it. Look at the footnote for the word in. It can also be translated guest room. Historically we know that Nazareth was actually a settlement of people who had come from Bethlehem. Bethlehem was one of those one-horse towns where the financially things weren't going anywhere. And people had eventually tried to resettle in Nazareth. So they had a better chance at, at making it. And that's where the kids went. So um, likely what had happened is when Mary and Joseph come into town, they're coming into town to the family of origin, hoping to stay with family. And they're one of the last people that arrive. And there is no room in the guest rooms. Put yourself in Mary's shoes, walking 90 to 100 miles, hoping and praying you won't have your child, baby Jesus, on the road. And you, you finally get there, and you go into the small house of your relatives, and there is no room for you. Imagine the brokenness of her heart. Imagine the hardness of that night when she goes with her Joseph and they lay down in what is most likely a cave. And there, alone or with Joseph, is where she gives birth to Jesus. In my mind, I can see her saying, God, this is your son. Where were you? What are you doing? There's nobody even there to care for me. When you think about it, there's a lesson in here, isn't there? We had just learned that God is large and in charge. God is sovereign over all things. He can even move the heart of Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the ancient world. But God chose not to move the heart of any one of their relatives or anyone to give them space in that world. So Jesus was born in the humblest of all circumstances. While Mary was busy asking why, we can look back on it today and we can understand. See, Jesus was born to be the Savior of all people. And Jesus can relate to all people because he was born as the humblest of all people. God, in his wisdom, was still watching over Mary, watching over Joseph, watching over Jesus and protecting them. But yet, they were born in complete and total humility. I guess the lesson here would be that God sometimes operates in ways we don't expect, doesn't he? 
interesting twists and turns in life come our way. And sometimes it's years later we can look back and we can see God's wisdom on all these things. Let me continue in Luke chapter 2, talking about the shepherds. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, it was customary for the the shepherds to stay out in the fields by night, to, to watch over their flocks. It was customary for them to protect their flocks from, from predators. But what started out as an ordinary night ended up as anything but ordinary. As an angel of the Lord appeared to them, it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. Could you imagine the brilliance of God's glory showing up in the middle of the night? And seeing the great cloud, the great heavenly host singing praise? I think a lot of us would love to see something like that. And I thought to myself, of all people, of all people to give the birth announcement to, why did God give it to shepherds? Maybe you don't know this, but shepherds, they were considered ceremonially unclean. Shepherds were considered the outcasts of society. Shepherds almost never went to the temple to worship. Shepherds were distrusted. Their testimony was not allowed in court. They were the lowly. They were the rejected. They were the forgotten people of the world. Yet Jesus' birth was announced to them because his birth was good news for all people. No matter who you are in society, no matter how forgotten, no matter how lowly your position, Jesus' birth is incredibly good news for you. That's why it was announced to the shepherds. Now let me give you some interesting things I ran across this week as I did my research. In the ancient world, there were three titles, or three things that were said about Caesar Augustus. He was said to be the savior of the world. He was said to be a god. And he was, it was said that his birth was good news for all people. Doesn't that sound familiar? Let me read this. This comes actually out of a calendar that was written at the time of Caesar Augustus. 
says, Providence set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom he filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior both for us and our descendants. Since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the gospel, that is, good news for the world. The angels say, there's a different version of this. The one who is your savior, the one who is your God, the one who is good news for all people is not Caesar Augustus. It is Jesus Christ who was born in Bethlehem in the humblest of circumstances because it is good news for all people and he can relate to even the lowliest of people. He's the Savior you need in this world. You can't help but see it. You just look at the television. Everything is talking about the 2016 presidential race. Will it be Trump? Will it be Carson? Will it be Hillary? Will it be Bernie? The idea is if we just elect the right guy, he or gal, he or she will save us. And he or she will fix the world around us and solve all the problems. But the message of Scripture is that there is no political leader, even Caesar Augustus, who has given the Roman Empire the Pax Romana that is the Savior of the world, the Savior of the world that each one of us is in desperate need of, is the one that was born in Bethlehem. It is Jesus Christ. And he was born to thousand years ago. That's why we celebrate. That's why celebrating Christmas is so important. So we get our eyes on what is so important in what we all need. Let me answer one more question. Why is Jesus' birth good news for everyone? Now if you were with us for the month of December you know we did a, a small Christmas series from the book of Leviticus. We took the first seven chapters of this book. And we looked at five offerings that the ancient Israelites were commanded to give. And we saw how each one of those offerings ultimately pointed forward to Jesus and what he came to do. And they were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. But there is one particular offering, or should we call it festival, that we skipped. It's a very important one. In fact, instead of being at the front of the book of Leviticus, it's right smack dab in the middle of the book of Leviticus. It's in the middle where the hinge of everything turns because it is the most important sacrifice and festival of all. It's called the Day of Atonement, also called by the Jews Yom Kippur. Uh, let me tell you what was so important about it. It was the holiest day of all because it was the day when sins in total were forgiven. You see, in all the other sacrifices we looked at, like in the sin offering, the priest could only come up to the very edge of the Holy of Holies because God dwelled in the Holy of Holies and he was able to sprinkle blood right before the curtain, but he could never go into God's very presence. But on the Day of Atonement, one time of year, that changed. One priest, the high priest, was able to go into the Holy of Holies. 
Usually, the high priest was dressed in incredibly festive and ornate robes. He looked like a king. But on that day, he took off his ornate robes and he dressed in very simple clothing that made him look like a servant. And after he sacrificed a bull for his own sin, he, he went into the very Holy of Holies and he took some of the blood of that bull and he dipped his finger in the blood and he threw it once with his finger onto the mercy seat, the very tar top of the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence was. And then he put his finger seven more times into that blood and he sprinkled it around the Holy of Holies and his sin was covered. And then he left and went out of the Holy of Holies and there, there was two goats and they cast lots for those goats and one goat was chosen by those lots to be sacrificed. And that goat died and the priest, the high priest, took the blood of that goat and he brought it back into the Holy of Holies and for the people, he took his finger into the blood and he dipped it and he sprinkled it once on the mercy seat. And seven times in the Holy of Holies and he walked out and the sins of the people were covered and atoned for and with the remaining goats he put his hands on the head of the goat and he confessed all of the sins of the people onto that goat all of the times that they had walked away from God willingly and unwilling and all the rebellion and secret thoughts he confessed it all and that goat was taken and it was led away far, far into the wilderness, never to be seen again. And that pictured that on that day, God took all the sins of the people away. Just like it says in Psalm 103, verse 12, that he separated their sins from them as far as the east is from the west. All the guilt all the burden, all the shame of their sin was gone. And on that day of atonement, what had happened was all of the unintentional sins of the people were atoned for. The intentional sins that were confessed were also atoned for. And even the secret sins of their hearts and the sins they didn't know were atoned for. And they were as close to God as they could be because the blood had not just been brought up to the Holy of Holies, but the blood had been brought into God's very presence. Because that's the only and really effective way to take care of the problem of sin. Now folks, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, this is why he came the second person of the Trinity permanently fused himself with human flesh and he was born so he could die. And he would bring blood. Not the blood of a bull that would cover his sin. But he didn't need to cover his sin because he was perfect. He brought his own blood. Not into the earthly tabernacle but he brought his own blood into God's very presence to completely pay for and atone for all of our sin. Unintentional sin, 
intentional sin that's been confessed of, even the secret sins and the sins that we don't even know about. By our faith in God, they're completely paid for by Jesus. Look what it says in Scripture. In the book of Hebrews, there's our New Testament. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see, if you know the story, that when Jesus died, something very special happened in the tabernacle. The curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the tabernacle was torn in two from top to bottom as if the very finger of God had sliced it right in half. Because when Jesus died and brought his own blood into God's presence to pay for our sin, our sin was completely atoned for. And now you and me can come into God's very own presence without fear without trembling, because Jesus has paid for our sin. And my friends, that gives us something to celebrate. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he's opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus came at Christmas. He came to die. To die so we could have a relationship with God, with all of our sins completely atoned for. But the truth is that many people don't see that. Many people don't see Christmas and Jesus taking on flesh as something really important to celebrate. To them, it's about tinsels and trees and presents and gifts, things that aren't bad. There is something so much better. You see, the shepherds, when God opened their eyes to see the amazing thing that had happened on that night, that Jesus was born, they couldn't help but be witnesses. They couldn't help but worship. They left just bursting with excitement that the God and Savior of the world had come to rescue them. And folks, they only knew part of the story. We know the rest of the story. Actually, we have more reasons to celebrate Christmas than they ever did. They didn't know 
that Jesus would take his own blood into heaven and to completely obsolete the whole Old Testament sacrificial system and make the way open for us to come to God. They didn't know that Jesus would not only pay for our sin, but he would conquer death. And that for those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we don't need to fear death because we will rise again just like Jesus Christ. And then when we die, we are brought into God's very presence. They didn't know that because of Jesus Christ and our identity with him, we are called the most blessed beings in the entire creation under Jesus Christ. They didn't have a way to get their mind wrapped around that. But we do. My friends, tonight when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the fact that God has taken on flesh, we have so much more reason to be filled with excitement, with gratitude and praise than the shepherds ever did. And my prayer for you is that you go home tonight and when you are around the Christmas tree and the presents and all the fun of this season, that you have joy and you have fun with it. But you have such greater joy and such greater worship because there is incredible good news that we celebrate tonight. That the great God and the Savior of the world has come. And his name is not Augustus. His name is Jesus. Amen? Dear Jesus, we come before you. And we just want to confess that so often we lose sight of the greatness and majesty of what it means that you took on flesh. And you took on flesh to die and bring your own blood into God's very presence to open the way for us. Tonight as we remember Christmas, give us an extra special amount of joy and worship and celebration for you our Heavenly Father, our Jesus, who has done this all out of love for us. We ask this in your name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.